if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> if you're using the black Bibles there in the chairs, it's uh, page 703. We're going to be talking about a subject this morning that for a pastor oftentimes is a difficult subject because it puts the pastor under the microscope, if you would. But we're going to be talking about the local church this morning because that's what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and the importance of the local church. I don't know if you've ever heard the statement before, but it bears repeating. If you ever find the perfect church, please don't join it because it will cease to be perfect. (laughs) I don't know who the author of that statement is, but they got it right. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And the reality is this, had I stood back there and everybody who came in, I had handed you a piece of paper, and then right now I said, okay, I want you to write down what you think a church should be. If we counted heads this morning, there would be that many different answers. Because everybody has their own concept of what a church should be. Every church is different. There is no perfect church because every church is full of imperfect people. And short of heaven, (laughs) there will be no assembly that is ever perfect. Every church is different. You, You know, one of the things I find interesting is that We've had people that have been saved at our church and for whatever reason have had to move away. And so Grace Baptist Church is the only church that they know. And it's interesting to me, you know, usually, you know, a month or two after they move, I get a phone call saying, Pastor, I can't find a church like Grace Baptist Church. And I, and I, I tell them, well, guess what? Uh, you're not going to. And I've had people move here looking for a church like what they came from. And I I have to tell them the bad news. You're not going to find it. Why do you think that is? No no two are the same. But but why why are not all churches the same? They're made up of different people. Every, every congregation is different, and every church has to meet the needs of that group of people. And also, to they have to meet the needs of the community in which they're in. So thus, making every church unique. But at the same time, every church should be striving to be the New Testament ideal church. Does that make sense? Even though we're all going to be different, there is a model set forth in Scripture that every church should strive to accomplish. 
In the book of Revelation, God addresses or has an exchange with seven churches. We call it the seven churches of Revelation. If you've not read it recently, I, let me encourage you to do so. It's a, it's a, a great reminder of what churches should do and should not do if that makes sense. We're not going to go to Revelation except for uh, just, we're going to look at two of the churches in Revelation for examples, and that, that's all it is. But the first church that God addresses in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, God commends them for the things that they're doing right and condemns them for the things that they're doing wrong. Does that make sense? L let me read it for an example. I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience. Well, this is a patient church. That, that's quite a, that's a good thing. Okay. <clears throat> wow. Why that word never came out, I don't know. And how thou ca uh, canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has uh, patience for thy namesake, labored, and has fainted not. Now, I, I, this church is doing a lot right. But then he goes on, Nevertheless, I have somewhat, uh, I, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast lost thy first love. What happened? This church was doing a lot of things right, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. And that's what the Lord's trying to get them to understand. The other church I want to look at very quickly is the, is the church number seven. And this is the church that we often like to criticize a lot because it's the church of Laodicea. And it's known as, okay, who, who can tell me, what is the nickname of this church, the Luke, the lukewarm church. In Revelation chapter three, verse fourteen to sixteen, it says, "And unto the angel or the pastor of the church of Laodicea, write these things: saith the Amen, and the the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of uh, crea uh, the creation of God. I know thy works; they are neither cold nor hot." They would, uh, excuse me, I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And, and this is a perfect example of what a church should not be. A church should never be lukewarm. As we look at the church of Thessalonian, uh, 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 Thessalonica, we see Paul here in verses. Uh, well, let, let's go ahead and. Uh, well, uh, no, let, let me. I'll just give them to you. We'll we'll get to them later. In 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 chapter one, verse two, chapter two, verse thirteen, and chapter three, verse nine, uh, Paul thanks the church of Thessalonica. He he just comes out and says, "Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for doing what you're doing." That is a positive thing. 
So the church of Thessalonica, excuse me, the church of Thessalonica is a good model for every New Testament local church to follow. Would you not? Would you? Would you agree? I hope you would agree. So we are going to look at some of the characteristics that make this church such a good model to follow. Does that make sense? Now, <clears throat> the title of my message is What Every Church Should Be. What Every Church Should Be. As we look at these characteristics, we need to examine our own church, do we not? Not only should we examine our own church, we, but we need to examine our own lives because it is our lives that make up our church. Does that make sense? See, we cannot change our church without changing us. If, if there is something that is not aligning, uh, that, that Grace Baptist Church does not align with, with Scripture, then we need to change it, but it, the change starts with us. We can't sit back and say, okay, you need to change Grace Baptist Church. The comment should know we need to change. Because of time and just the amount of information, I'm going to have to continue this message next week. There's just no way I, I can put it all in a, a sermon this morning. Otherwise, we'd be here till 2 o'clock. And, and I can do that if you want. <laughs> if our church, Grace Baptist Church, is going to meet the New Testament model, then we are going to need to focus on Jesus Christ. what every church should be. Number one, and please get this because it's important. We need to be different. We need to be different. Let's start reading in uh, <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. And Paul says, Paul and, and uh, Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of Thessalonians, which, in, which is in God the Father and in <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you in peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your works, uh, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father excuse me, and our Father, knowing brethren, beloved elect of God. In verse 1, Paul makes an incredible statement. He says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, 
which is in God. Now, I'm about to do something I don't do very often. In fact, I, I try not to do it very often because we can get sidetracked and, and get too... Anyway, I, anyway I, but it, I, as I prayed about it, I felt it was important to understand what Paul is trying to communicate here. So <clears throat> this in verse 1, Paul makes an incredible statement unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God. Now, I have this, this, this statement in Greek. Can you put it up? Okay. <clears throat> now, I don't want to get too technical here, but this is really critical to understanding what Paul is saying. The, the, the second word in our sentence here is the word iglesia. Do you all see that? It, it kind of makes sense. If you come down a little bit, the word iglesia is the word translated church. But the word iglesia means a called out assembly or a called out people. Now, it, it, you, you have to understand what, what that means. What is a called out assembly or called out people? That, okay, the, okay, the point is this. In order to be a called out assembly or a called out people, that a group of people has to be different. There has to be something unique about that group in order for it to be called out. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so it's, that's the first step in this is the fact that a church, a called out assembly, needs to be different than the people around it. Is that logical? Okay, so <clears throat> now, the, 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 but what makes it unique? What makes a called-out assembly unique? And that is, at the very bottom here, you see that EV with the little thing over the E? Okay? <clears throat> that is the English word in. And in 21st century American English, the word in really doesn't mean a whole lot, does it? But in Greek, the word in is incredibly significant. And let me see if I can illustrate. You're going to see my computer skills at work here. Okay? This is the extent of my computer skills. That is a circle. Okay. <laughs> oh, hey, it gets better. It, it gets better. Okay. Now, no, no, no. Back, 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 Chris. You messed me up. Okay. For the, for the, for the purpose of illustration this morning, we're going to say that that circle is God. Okay. So when it says that I or the church is in God, it literally means 
that. Okay? That means I am in God. Now, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you have heard of, ever heard of a guy named Joe Montana? Okay? Never heard of him. Okay. <clears throat> well, when I was a kid, Joe, Man Joe Montana was the Tom Brady of the day. Okay? <laughs> he's, a, he's a loser. Okay, just saying. Uh, okay, now let, let me ask you a question. And, and this is important, so please get this. Was Joe Montana on the 49ers offensive squad or was he in the 49ers offensive squad? No, he was on the team. He wasn't in the team. No, he was on the team. If you were to go out and apply to play baseball this, this, this spring, you would be on the team. You would not be in the team. What does that mean? It changes the relationship. Because Joe Montana... Anybody who is on a team can quit. They can go play for someone else. It changes everything. But that little word, in, says that I am in God. Does that not change everything? So... If a church, an iglesia, an assembly of believers, plural, is in God, this is what it looks like. You see the difference? I'm not on God's team. I'm in it. And because I'm in it, it makes me different. And because Grace Baptist Church, hopefully, is filled with believers who are in God, that means the called out assembly is in God and is different. Does that make sense? Do you like my graphics, by the way? I, yeah. <clears throat> hey, those three slides took me about 45 minutes. Just saying, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> See, if we are in God, then we cannot be in the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. So, I have a question for you. Can Grace Baptist Church make a difference in this world if we are like the world? We have to be different. 
I don't even know if I'm going to get past point number one. (laughs) We have to be different. We have to be different as a church. We have to be different as individuals because we're a called out assembly. And because we're called out, we are in God. We are not of God. We are not on God's team. We are in His team. I have another question for you. What is the thing that gets us in God? Salvation. Salvation. Salvation is the thing that gets us in God. So, salvation begins with love. One of the things, now, those of you that know me know that I got saved when I was in the Navy back in 1980, uh, June of 1980. And from the time I first heard the gospel to the time I got saved was a period of about three weeks. And the reason why it took three weeks for me to get saved was because I had a hard time trying to understand how God could love me. Because I knew me. And I was not a good person. I'm still not a good person. I struggled with the fact, how could a God love me? And I remember my friend reading me this verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he told me, he said, Rick, he said, God loves you so much He sent His Son to the cross to die for you. And I thought, that's insane. God can't love me. I know me. I am am rotten to the core. Salvation starts with love. But with love comes truth. And the truth is, I'm a sinner. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. My buddy looked at me and he says, Have you ever sinned? I wanted to slap him. I'm like, what an idiot. What a stupid question. Of course I've sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But with truth comes a price. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin. The wages of sin. The the word wages basically means what you deserve for what you've done. And for, for what I've done, I deserve hell. But, I love the word but in Scripture. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This last December, uh, most of you know, I kind of was in and out of the hospital with the infection and everything, and I kind of lost December. <laughs> December's kind of a blur, just saying. For, for my wife and I both. But we had our grandkids, all three of them, <laughs> and, and all of that. And what would you think if, because we had not very many, but because of everything going on, we were not able to really buy a whole lot, but we had a few presents for the kids. But the four-year-old, the oldest, what would you think if Christmas morning when they came over and I presented Danielle with a gift and she says, oh, thank you, Granddad. She set it on the table and walked away. Now, number one, she didn't do that. Okay, I mean, yeah, it was like... But... What what if she had done that? Well, yeah, it would have broken her heart. And then they leave and they come back. Well, let's just say they come back when she's eight. And I said, Danielle, your present is still sitting here on the table. She says, oh, isn't it a pretty present? Now, let me ask you a question. Is it really a gift if it's still sitting on the table? No. See, it, it really technically only becomes a gift when she picks it up, opens it, and sees what it is, and then em- embraces it, is it not? See, God has offered the gift of his son to us. All we need to do is pick it up and open it. And that we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ died for me 2,000 plus years ago. And I I don't know about you, but I I like to read this book, okay? I, I like to read it. And I have come to the conclusion that if... 2,000 plus years, I was the only one who had ever accepted Christ and ever would accept Christ, Christ still would have died on that cross for me. That's what this book says. See, it's not God's love that saves us. It's His grace. It's His love that drove Jesus to the cross, but it's His grace that saves us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. and, And not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. See, God's grace is what we do not deserve. That's called salvation. His mercy 
does not get us give us what we deserve. And that's death. So, a called out assembly of believers in Jesus Christ who are in God. We're not on God's team. We're in God's team. I hope that showing you the Greek and all that didn't muddy the waters. I hope, you, I hope it had a purpose to get you to understand the importance of those two little letters in. Number two, not only are, should we be different, but I need to hurry. <clears throat> we may not finish. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, number two, we need to be an example. I have a thought here. In order to be an example, one must be willing to put themselves out there. Am I right? See, we cannot be an example. Our church cannot be an example unless our people are willing to put themselves out there. I myself cannot be an example if I'm not willing to put myself out there. I'm going to be as, in, in, as transparent as I possibly can this morning. I hate crowds. Okay? <clears throat> Last night at the Super Movie Night, I would, do, I would be super all right with coming late, sitting back in a corner, watching the movie, and leaving before anybody else. I would have had a great time. <laughs> Just saying. But look at me. God, it's called me to be a pastor. That means I need to put myself out there. Am I comfortable up here right now? No. But it, God, it is what God wants me to do. Now let me ask you a question. If, if Grace Baptist Church was full of people that just wanted to get by, who didn't want to put themselves out there, who, when they come in the door on Sunday morning, they sit in their seat and they don't really mix, they don't really meet people, they really don't go out of their way to talk to other people. What kind of church would we have? We would have a Laodicean church. See, what is a church supposed to be? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We don't want to be the church of Laodicea that God says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I don't want, I don't want that. And the, the, the believers of Thessalonica, the, the, the believers of Thessalonica didn't want that either. They were examples. We see it first in verse 5. 
For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and of the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. The first way they did it is they received the word of God. They received the word of God. See, I, I, I have said this from day one of Grace Baptist Church, and I'll say it a, a hundred million more times. This book is going to change your life, not my opinion. This, this book is going to change your life, not the philosophy of men. This book is going to change your life, not religion. And we see here in verse 5 that the Thessalonians received the Word of God. And because they received the Word of God, it changed their lives. My question to you is, how much of this book do you know? How much time do you spend in the book? See, it's this book that's going to make the difference. It's this book that's going to going to change the people around us. If we, you and me, walk out these doors week after week and our lives have not been changed, then we need to close the doors of this church and sleep in on Sunday morning we would accomplish the exact same thing. See, I don't know about you, and this may be strange for a pastor to say, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I'm not here to play church. I'm not. That's not what we're here for. Hopefully, we're here to be a New Testament church, to change our lives and to change the lives of people around us. That's what this book does. When we receive this book, it changes our lives and it makes us different and it makes our church different. The second example that we see here is they followed church leadership. Now, I'm going to be treading on some thin ice here because no pastor likes to preach about what pastors, what people are supposed to think about pastors. We just, we often, as, as a group, and pastors, I've talked to them, and they, they say, yeah, I just, I just kind of skip around it. I don't talk about it. But you know what? Well, let, let's read uh, uh, verse 6. <clears throat> nor of men, uh, excuse me, wrong, wrong chapter. Um, and ye became followers of us as of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. What is Paul saying there? Paul's saying, hey, you followed us as we followed God. Now, the, 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 the hard part for a pastor, and I'm just, I told you, I'm just being transparent this morning. I have to be. The hard part about this passage and, and saying what I'm about to say is the fact that I have feet of clay. I am, I am not perfect. 
I know that comes to a shock to you. <laughs> That's a joke. Okay? That's a joke. But I have a responsibility to preach the entire counsel of the Word of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 27, it says, For I have not shunned to, to, to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I have a responsibility to tell you that part of what a church does is follow the pastor. Now, Can you imagine the pressure I just put on myself? But what does Paul say here? Does, does Paul say here, and you become followers of us having received the word in much affliction? Is that what Paul said? No, it is not. What did Paul say? And ye, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul, when talking to the Corinthians, says this, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. What is, what is Paul literally saying there? In 21st century vernacular, this is what he's saying. Hey, as long as I'm walking with God, follow me. But the second I turn away, go back to Christ. See, you don't follow me in the sense of following me, but as, as Grace Baptist Church moves forward, we as a group need to follow Christ. And as long as I follow Christ, as long as I stay focused on the finish line, then we as a group can move forward together. And the minute, the minute I take my eyes off that goal, stop following me and follow Christ. See, it's not about Rick Lynn. Grace Baptist, it, it, and, 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 and praise God for this. I was out of the pulpit because of my knee. I was out of the pulpit for five weeks. You know what? Grace Baptist Church kept going. We didn't close the door and say, hey, come back in five weeks. Grace Baptist, this church is not about me. It's about Him. That's the way it ought to be. The third example that we see is, we already, we already read it, is that they, and be you followers of us as, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. They suffered for Christ. They were example to the, to the other believers, the other churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And we'll, we'll look at this again next week. But they were examples because they followed Christ even when they were persecuted. I, I, hey, I hate to tell you this. We have no clue what persecution is like. We have no clue. 
And yet we have people in this church that don't read the book. We have, we have people in this church that, that spend less than 10 minutes a week praying. And I'm here to tell you the statistics that if you were to get on the internet, you could, I, I, well, I don't know how easy it is. It's hard for me. But there are statistics that pastors across this country don't read this book. They get their sermons off the internet. There are pastors across this country that, that spend less than five minutes a day praying. And if, I, I don't know, I'm just, a, I'm just a, I don't know. But if pastors are like that, do you not think that normal church people are like that? And we're not even persecuted. We live in a free country. See, you have to understand, when somebody back then in that society got saved, their lives changed. Persecution was almost immediate. If they were Jewish, they, they would literally lose their families, their friends. Most time they would lose their jobs, but they would lose their community. They would lose everything. Oftentimes, well, it's even today, uh, Orthodox Jews, if, if, if somebody gets saved in those families, they'll have a funeral for them. And if they see them on the street, they'll totally ignore them as though they are dead. What's your faith look like? See, faith is always going to be tested. Always. The next example is they were an encouraging church. They were, they were encouraging. Look at verse 7. So that ye were in samples or examples of of all the believe, all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Again, we'll we'll talk about this more next week. Hopefully, I don't I don't have time, but think about this. This church was an influence on two regions. These are not cities. These are these are like states, if you would. This one church affected two states. And they were known as a church of encouragement. Now, I have a, I, an unfortunate truth for you. Christians will be either encouraging or discouraging. I want to say something here that may get me in trouble. I don't know. We need to step out of our comfort zones. 
And we need to be the kind of people that care about others. My pastor of 20 years, uh, most of you know uh, Pastor Stevens, John Stevens. He's, He's retired now and But he used to say, a church should be a spiritual hospital, a place where people can come and heal and be encouraged. I've had people, again, and if I'm going to step on your toes here, please forgive me. I, I don't mean to hurt anybody. But I've had people in our church say, you know what? I've not had anybody in the last, I don't know, two weeks, four weeks, whatever, come up and shake my hand and and say hi to me. And I'm sorry for that. That that ought not be. And I'm truly sorry for that. But why aren't you shaking hands to them? Why do they have to come to you? See, if we're going to be an example, that means we have to put ourselves out. We have to step out of our comfort zones. We have to do the hard things. And if Grace Baptist Church is going to make a difference in our community, it's going to be because we as a body that are in God are going to choose to be different. We're going to choose to be examples because ultimately it's because we're focused on the things of God. I have one more question and then I'll be done. How important is the church? How important is the Iglesia? How important is the called out assembly to God? How many of you would say it's important? Okay. How many of you would say it's really important? Well, let me tell you how important it is. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ so loved the church, and what? Gave himself for it. Christ's love loves the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly so much that he died for it. He died for the called out assembly. He he died for the individuals within the called out assembly. Christ died for the church. Now, he didn't die for Grace Baptist Church, but he died for Bonnie and Bob and Rick, John. You get it? He died for the church. 
And I'm only part of the way through this. Let me close with this. Are you willing to be different? Are you willing to be different? See, God's called us to be different. Let's be different so that we can make a difference. And then number two, are you willing to be an example? Are you willing to put yourself out there so that you can be an example so that a lost and dying world can see a different person? People all around us are looking for truth. And they're never going to find it if we are the Laodicean church. They'll never find it. Let's pray.